In a world where Republicans and Democrats work together, things might actually get done. Every day in Charlotte, North Carolina, two council members deal with the city's most pressing issues, like potholes. They don't follow the rules, they make them. Those two council members are Larkin Eggleston and Tarek Bakari, and we join them now for another episode of R&D in the QC. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Episode 21, we talk budget, police, tax increases, Eastland Mall, Hugh McCall, Ajit Pai, and Senator Jeff Jackson and Congressman Patrick McHenry join the show. Welcome to R&D in the QC, episode number 21. Come on, I I asked you, are you going to do it hype? Time. You said it was like going to come in hot, and I said I was going to come in medium warm. That was lukewarm at best, my friend. Lukewarm's all I got at uh, at 11 p.m. But you know what Wednesday. makes 11 p.m. on a Wednesday extra tough? No, I don't. The fact that we just got out of two meetings that lasted 11 hours straight. Yes, we did, and we'll talk about both of those. Um, we had a marathon today and a marathon yesterday. Totally different uh, types of marathons, but we also had a busy week last week, and uh, so I'm because we're fun. having our, our normal, if you're wondering where the pod's been the last two days, our meeting because of the holiday weekend and because of our trip to Raleigh yesterday, which we'll talk about later in this segment, uh, our meeting was on Wednesday this week, so it's been nine days between episodes, and so there's even more to catch people up on than usual uh, so where will we start we're going back nine days? Well, yeah, let's let's start on the one that I think we're going to have a lot of interest. Uh, obviously, we had a big budget five-hour uh, workshop session today. Yeah, to we had two, a lot of things. two budget meetings since the last episode, yeah. maybe. Yeah, good grief, man. Um, but obviously, you know, one of the main topics there was, was um, police officer pay. We talked about a lot, but police officer pay took at least two hours of it and fire as well. Uh, we had challenged the manager to go back and do something. Um, I'll, I'll outline the, the simplified version of, of kind of what we've seen is um, right now, if you're a new officer uh, that is just hired all the way up to one who's about four years in, you're getting a 12% raise. If you're a five-year officer or an 11-year officer, they designated some specific uh, retention issues there, you're getting a 9.5% raise. And if you're an officer that's been around anywhere from 6 to 10 years or 12 years, you're getting a 7% raise. So of that group, from one, 0 to 1 years all the way to 12 years, 7% is the absolute lowest, 12% is the highest. And then there's the 13th step. These are the ones we've been calling topped out or the, the, the top step uh, officers. They have actually gone down since the last proposal, but up year over year to 4.5%. And, and again, that's not all at once in the current proposal. It's 2% right away in, in Jul- on July 1st and then 2.5% additionally in November. So um, I've got some thoughts, but let me, let me toss it over to you and, and where your head's at. I'll just go high level. I think in our last budget meeting, I'll, I'll say this. I think the manager's budget um, did pretty right by our officers and pretty right by our firefighters in the first place. You, um, obviously it kind of went strong on, I need a little bit more love for the police officers. I came in kind of strongly saying I need a little bit more love for the firefighters. That was a great combo. Great one, two punch. I love that. Um, and I think that this proposal, uh, while still being, I think fiscally responsible came in and answered both of those asks. I think that this was a markedly, uh, different proposal for police. I think it was a markedly different proposal for fire than the first. And I think markedly improved for most of our officers and most of our firefighters. And, um, and, and I'll be quite honest. I think this is as good as we're going to get. And I think that, uh, you know, I hope that, that people from both those organizations are, are happy with, with the progress that's been made here. Um, both by the manager from the get go and then from, from us putting a little more pressure on it. And, and I'll just say, I mean, we, we had, and we'll talk maybe some more about the budget later in this segment, but we had some tough stuff that we had to take off of the table today uh, from consideration. There's some other things that I know are of, of also uh, high priority for you that you're going to have to 
convince you know five five fellow council members to support, and then you're also going to have to say, well, and where does this money come from? So we're really getting down to the nuts and bolts of kind of the last steps of this budget, and I think um, there's not going to be so much more room or time for tinkering, and um, and we're really going to start cutting stuff that's that's tough to cut if we're trying to free up more money. But I, you know, kudos to the manager. He has gone back to the board multiple times trying to satisfy 12 people with 12 different priority sets. And, um, and I think he's done a great job. So, so let me, let me throw two things back at you. One, um, my, my take is to your point, I think the manager did it, uh, he did something extraordinary, as you like to play Tark Bing. I think the thing I'm going to be most glad about when this budget cycles over on June 11th is that maybe I won't have to listen to you say extraordinary. For we can a while. apply that to many situations, but but we shouldn't. He did something extraordinary to steps one through 12. I think he really did. He came correct. I still hear the concerns of the uh, of the community of of you know topped out police officers uh, in that 13th step. And um, and they're they're not happy. And the challenge there is, and the reason why he was able to do something so creative is that one third of our department, a little more than one third of our department, is in that topped out step. So there's a huge chunk. And these are the officers who've been around this. They've been in an environment, and they recognize. And I've heard this directly from some of them. They've been in an environment where they remember a different macro police environment where it isn't like the last five years and officers who've come in. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of the, the new kind of pressure, the new morale levels of, of things that, that are happening in the news is just the normal for them. So I think there's something different there. I, I really hope there's something more we can do as a last push. And I haven't said this even out loud yet, but I'm going to I'm going to flip this by you. Just, you probably should. Just, just just between you and I. Right. And no and, idea where and, this is going. And, well, so here's my idea. Right. So you've gotten to know me. Very well for the last six months. Far better than I ever wanted far, to. Far, far better. You, I think you would admit that while some people have like at their core almost like an ethical issue, something that like supersedes everything else. Some people it's like pro-life or pro-choice. Some people it's gun rights against or for whatever. My, my thing my, at my core, most core level is no tax increases, lower taxes. Like that is literally my guiding light to almost everything I've based my political principles on. And I and it, so I'm I'm confronted with this real big challenge of all this work and everything we're doing for the officers, do I still vote against this budget because it's going to have a tax increase? And every bone and fiber in my body says do that. You have to do it. You fight as hard as you can to get the stuff where it's needed and then at the end you you come and you vote down the budget, which I think a lot of people might expect me to do. But I thought today, as I was thinking through this, I kind of have one chip left to put on the table. And the question is, how valuable is that chip? How valuable is me voting yes in support of it? And I'm almost thinking I'm willing to come back to you guys and say, if we can come back to the table and do three things. One, first and foremost, right? At this point in the game, all your little ask is three my, things. Yeah, my I like my that. little ask is three things. With that chip, though, how important is... Uh, a, a vote in, of, of in support of this. Thing one is... Do you can want we, me to answer that question? Yeah, may, maybe not yet. <laughs> but thing one is, can we take that roughly estimated $900,000 gap and take our Step 13 officers from 4.5%, which is where it is now, where a lot of them view as a slap in the face, up to 6.5%, where I think they'd be happy. And two... We do that additional South Park CNIP $5 million investment that I said will only be unlocked if I brought $5 million of private sector money. And then we have severely ignored workforce development in this entire budget. And I recommended a half a million dollars for workforce development for fintech-related job uh, job opportunities that could impact upward mobility, I believe. So those would be my three asks. And I would be willing to almost sell my soul as it relates to voting for an entire budget that has a tax increase. That would I don't care about the, the political fallout of uh, my constituents or my fellow conservatives saying you sold out. You know what? This budget's going to pass anyway with the tax increase. And it's just, can I sleep at night or, or not knowing that I voted in support of that? And I'm, I'm, I'm debating in my own mind, is that something I'm willing to do? I almost feel like it is. So my question to you is, do you think I'd get any traction with my fellow colleagues on at least two of those three things? 
Maybe, but not because I, I think it's more important to the manager that he get consensus on this budget than it is to council members. I, I don't, to your point, your vote um, or Ed's vote, and I don't, I'm not trying to be funny or trying to be disparaging, is not going to make or break whether this budget passes at this point. I think most people feel like we've addressed most of the things that we had all prioritized. And, and, and I think you and Ed probably feel that way to some extent. Uh, obviously, the, the heartburn about the, the tax increase I can appreciate from, um, from your political perspective. And um, I, don't, I don't share it. I think that at the end of the day, a one-cent tax increase is, uh, is a drop in the bucket. Um, I know, you know, it's cumulative and all those other things, but it, the things we need to do in this city, I think it's, it's a trade worth making. Um, but I do think the manager cares. And I think, you know, he should be appreciated and potentially rewarded for the fact that he also knew going in that he could have, had he chosen to, and he's not this type of guy and I wouldn't prescribe that this is the best way to go about this, but he could have ignored the things that you and Ed said were important. As, as conservatives on this council and said, you know what? I have a super majority of Democrats on this council. I can appease them. I can ignore the more conservative voices on council and I can still pass this budget. But he didn't do it that way because it's not the type of person he is. And I, I think yeah, we'll, we're better as a group because we listen to all the voices at the table, even when we disagree. And so I, I like the approach he took and I like the, the fact that he addressed the things that were priorities for you. Um, but he didn't have to, and so he didn't. He didn't need your vote to pass it. I think he really wants to see this pass unanimously, so that he feels like he has done everything he can do for his twelve bosses. And and I think he he's come pretty close to that. The one thing I'll, I'll push back on before we switch topics is the idea of um, I'm going to use your own logic against you. So I'm obviously not um, opposed in principle to the idea of of doing right by our officers that have hit that top step. Um, and, and I think a 4.5% increase is, is more of an increase than I've ever gotten. And again, I always qualify that with I'm not comparing my job to that of a police officer. But I mean, you know, in the in the private sector, 4.5% is it would be a pretty decent year. Um, and that's that's the worst anybody's doing in this budget for, for officers. But your logic, when we started talking about why we were going to go, well, part of your logic, I'll say, when we started talking about why we were going to go above and beyond for police pay, what we were going to do for other employees, including fire, was, hey, there's data that demonstrates that that's where the need is. The need is in police because we have a 9.4 or whatever percent vacancy rate. Fire is under 2% vacancy rate. The, the market is dictating that we have to pay more to get what we need in terms of police officers. I'll use that same logic again, and I agreed with that. To some extent, I'll use that same logic against you to say the manager pointed today and said, I'm losing most of my officers. And, and this retention problem is really with officers in year one to year, I think he said five or six. And so that's where he concentrated the biggest jumps and the big, biggest acceleration in terms of pay is for those officers to help retain our best officers so we're not losing them. We spend all this money training them, and three years later we lose them to some other department or some other career. Um, so again, if we're going to use data to justify a higher pay increase for police than other departments, including fire, we have to also use that same data to say where is the most critical need within the police department. I totally agree, but there's one difference here. Usually I'm the data guy, and I love what the manager did, basing it on retention and recruitment issues. But there's one more dynamic to all of this that doesn't exist in other departments other than uh, police and fire in in the city. And it doesn't relate and, and correlate to private sector, which is when you're walking up a stairwell in, in this job, right? You don't know who's going to jump around and kill you. And I'm not saying people jump around the corner and kill you all the time, but it's just a part of your life. There's a difference here. And th because of that difference, we have to view them in a different category where the data should inform what we're trying to strategically do. But guess what? If Charlotte Water or if, if, if Stormwater or planning or engineering have the same problem, we I would be advocating for everything you just said, but, but not for these special class of, of public servants. They're just different. I agree they're different. And I think if, if the pay raise for the people at the top step was 1% and the manager goes, you know what, we don't have to do much more for them. They've been in it so long, they're not going anywhere. We're, they're not going to leave us once once they're kind of in, this embedded in our department. If that had been the logic, I, I wouldn't have agreed with it. I would have thought it was it was morally wrong. And But that wasn't the logic. And I think, too, 
We have to talk about total compensation. We have done that a lot on the show, so I won't I won't rehash it all. But I mean, we're we're holding steady the healthcare rates. We're doing a, a I forget what they call it, but a, a a free month essentially where there's no payments on your healthcare in August. We're doing um, all sorts of different types of things that contribute to an overall compensation package that is more than just what is my exact percent increase on pay. So that is part of your compensation package because if it means there's more money left in your check when you get it, that's essentially a raise. It's not going to be reflected in a percent. But And, and look, I, here's one thing I want to say before we close this out, which we've said that now several times. Um, one, even if we don't do any more than what's here, which I, I would be disappointed personally if we didn't figure out a way to make this extraordinary for our top-down officers, I, it is important to recognize the manager, the staff, and the chief and our council members, this is special. I mean, what has been done right here has not been done before. This is absolutely special. So I don't want to. I don't want to create a, a narrative right now with with this last piece. That's just this last piece is like this creates a masterpiece, right? For this very special class. So I don't want to lose that. But I do want to finally draw a parallel. My second point to you: uh, taxes to me and the and the conundrum I'm in in this decision and why this is so important to me it's not it's that is my guiding light in this it's equivalent to you having a budget where you have all this great stuff that you fought for and you believe in and the manager put together and you love it but buried in there to make all that happen is some kind of provision that makes um, historical preservation something that is completely lost I well, I know how you'd vote on that budget if that was in there. No matter how great everything else is, that is is that I believe getting to haven't gotten to know you as much, well as I have. How would you vote? Would you use that as a bargaining chip? Would you be willing to compromise who you are to to get a final thing for one of the things you really want to happen in another area to sell your soul essentially? Maybe. I mean, I I don't know. That's it's it's an odd. That's it's hard to make a that, comparison. That, that would not right. happen. Right, but I know. I'm and that's why it's terrible. hard for me to, to imagine that as a, as a real-life scenario. I don't fault you for, for going back to the mat on the tax increase. I don't think you're going to get there. I mean, I know you're not going to get to a place where we can do all the tax things. Tax increase is done. No yeah, one's winning that argument. That's going to happen. That is going to happen no matter so, how I vote. So, you know, I don't know. I think it just matters. At the end of the day, it's going to matter how important it is to the manager that he have unanimous buy-in from his council and mayor on this budget. I, I, I think he's demonstrated it's important to him. Um, and, and I might support some of the things that you want, but not because I think we need your vote. I know. I mean, and again, I'm not trying you to, you don't need my, I, vote. we don't need There's your no, vote. That, that's crystal clear. <laughs> so I, I would too like to have consensus and we feel like we did this as a team and we got to where we wanted to be. And but everybody's even you pretty don't satisfied want to have to walk around the community for the people who are, like me and just completely against tax increase, you don't want to have to say, oh, well, why did Tark vote against it and you voted for it? I'm sure there's some part of you and yeah. all the other colleagues that would like love to have the air cover of a, you know, a completely... Uh, consensus yes. Consensus would, would feel nice. There's nothing politically that, like, it's not... It's not necessary. I mean, it doesn't make it any more politically advantageous for me whether you voted for it or not. And again, I, I might support some of those things you talked about, but because they in and of themselves are deserving, not because I think that I've, you know, we've got to, we got to get Tark on board with this. I mean, I'd love to have you voting for this. I'll understand if you don't. I think you got a lot of the things that you fought for. Kudos to you. Kudos to the manager for, for going to bat for those things for you. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I, I will be very glad to get this thing done on June 11th. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's do lightning round. We got a bunch of other topics, but we're going to lightning round through them because a lot happened in the last week. And because we have two segments later with two special guests from the last 48 hours that we uh, we recorded with uh, two political celebrities, one from each party. Yes, indeed. So first lightning round, first item. Let's just go back and forth. One comment each on them. Let's start with last week's Economic Development Committee on Eastland, also known as Operation S-Show. <laughs> Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to have to put the uh, disclaimer on this podcast saying yeah, that it's explicit. Yeah. So No cursings. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that this process doesn't feel like it's going, we're going about it the right way. But also, you and I have not been through one of these processes before, so I don't necessarily have much of a metric to judge it by. Um, I think there's been no process like Eastland. 
Well, and that's that's probably true even before we got here. I mean, this thing is is truly a unique animal. Um, I I'm just kind of speechless at this point. I I think that it's it, it's been haphazard, and um, I think there's some decent ideas on the table, but I don't think we have nearly enough information to assume that any of them are completely viable. Uh, or move forward with them yet. So I, I hope we get more information on those. Um, I hope we aren't closing our ears and eyes to other things that might present themselves as options. Um, you know, I don't know. We, we can't, we can't screw this up. Um, once we kind of settle on something and, and shovels go in the ground, we're married to it and it's got to work because it, this, and I don't blame the residents of East Charlotte for being as like overly enthusiastic about this as they are, because this is the linchpin for, for the future of East Charlotte for the next 50 plus years. And and that's the main reason why if there are any East Charlotte listeners of this podcast, this message is for you. I love your passion. I love the fact that you've come out and you've, you've, you've engaged and involved and you know the power of this and you've engaged in it. I think you guys are completely missing the boat here. I think you are you are looking at this as in you've picked your house. Mayor, Mayor, come in. Mayor, we're just talking about Eastland. Would you like to comment on I Eastland Mall? I think the Mall? most important consideration is something that's sustainable for the long term. Glad to see the mayor in here. But listen, guys, in Eastland, I, East, East Charlotte, I love you to death. But you guys went ahead and decided to pick the horse that you wanted to ride here, which in this case is soccer for the most part. And while it's a cool looking thing, it doesn't look that We haven't had a to chance me. to inspect the horse's yeah, health. Exactly. Like the horse right, exactly. Like the horse is he basically might be, he a might have rabies. Yeah. <laughs> or it could end up being like a turkey or a banana or you know, we don't even your know that's a horse. Are so awful. I'm so tired, Larkin. I have no idea what I'm saying. But your analogies are bad is, when you're awake. I yes, that's true. That's true. All I'm saying is I, I think that you guys uh, for the sake of picking an option that you had, and I know I, I feel like I know why you're doing this because you've been run around so many times that you want something to happen. You don't want more studies. You don't want more this or that or another five years of which a, I think you and I can agree on. We don't want more studies either. No, but we want to make sure that what did we pay the last consultant for? That's what I was trying, we paid almost half a million dollars, and somehow we don't have an RFP process and. We didn't get a list of criteria that we wanted for the site, so I don't know what that h I, they did there. I will. Uh, I think we could. I could probably. I think we can say hell without having to to, yeah, to mark our podcast as explicit. Not curse word. Um, I, I will say this in closing before we go because we are not doing well in calling no, this a lightning doing, round. Lightning round. Um, this is very slow lightning. I will say to anyone like whose really specific um, interest lies in Eastland. Tracy Dodson, I think, is the right person for this job. Listen and, to what she says, um, please. And so I think people can be encouraged and, and not, not to dis- disparage anybody who's been involved in it before. I think everybody's intentions were good. They're all smart people. Um, Tracy has a background that melds the per- the public and the private sector in a way that I think if there's a person in this building who should be in charge of this project? It is the person who is in charge of this project, that's and that's right. Tracy Dodson. So, um, you know, give her and and again, you know, she's she's just getting started in the city in, in this iteration. Um, give her a little time and a little bit of leash, but she is going to do right by East Charlotte on this project. She is not going to let this thing fail, uh, but she's also not going to let something that's not viable, and she will know better than any of us. Laser tag. She's not going to let something move forward that's not going to be good for you, Charlotte. Next item in the lightning round, McCall, his big event last week. What happened, Larkin? I can barely remember. It had just about every who's who from the banking sector, from the philanthropy sector, from um, civic leaders. Uh, somehow you and I accidentally ended up on the list. but um, Well, we have a very specific role to play Well, yeah, I them, suppose so. We? <laughs> um but you know, I think it was the right people in the room. I think they got people motivated, and 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 as I've said repeatedly on this podcast, and I don't I don't think you said I was wrong, but I I've repeatedly said I think that part of the reason we put forward a fifty million dollar housing bond is that it is a demonstration of the city's priorities, and I think the private sector will meet us in the middle and help us fight this fight. And that's what this meeting was all about, was the private sector saying, we are going to help you fight this. It was the philanthropy sector saying, we are going to help you fight this. Because as, as you and I have definitely both agreed on, 
government's not going to fix this on its own. So um, this had to be a collaborative effort to, to actually make a real dent in the issue, in the problem, and in the need. And I think that we, we saw that demonstration from the other parts of our community at that meeting. And, and I was pretty geeked up leaving it to, to say we might actually be able to do something. It was an impressive show of force. I really love it. I don't want to, to come out too strong with some of my concerns because I don't want to derail the, the efforts and, and potential that's going to come out of that. But a couple of major concerns I still have are, one, um, you know, we I still am not seeing a plan. Now, we've had a few offline conversations that lead me to believe perhaps the right puzzle pieces are around the, the table to create a plan. Um, but... I, you know, I, I just I'm not used to approving or being in a position to have to vote yes on something of this magnitude without knowing exactly how it's going to be deployed and exactly how it's going to be measurably deployed. And then finally, I, I just I feel like everyone keeps saying we need to be creative and innovative and tr- solve this differently. Yet we're only still in this vacuum talking about real estate based solutions with developers in the middle to solve what is ultimately not just an affordable housing, but an upward mobility challenge. Where is our double down, triple down, extraordinary efforts with groups like Away Home, with workforce development, with all these other things that are part of this? So that's where I'm at. A, we had uh, the head of LISC there who we're going to be bringing to Charlotte. Made me feel more comfortable. And they are not just trying to build their way out of the problem. They are trying to tackle this problem from all sides. And I think that they will they will do a lot of things that I think will be kind of right in your wheelhouse in terms of tackling this problem from the, the demand side, not just the supply side. Um, B, if you say extraordinary one more time, I'm going to have to punch you in the throat. <laughs> That's okay. Do that then. Um, because but that, also, that, that, we have to say extraordinary. That meeting was last Thursday, which means you skipped over last Wednesday, which means you didn't acknowledge yes. that you have a new man crush. And it's not; it's no longer the finance chairman or whatever it was from Ireland. We, well, you know no, I mean? it, that is still very much inside my, much my, uh, my level there. But listen, both of us have a deep passion for different reasons. You obviously, because the message relates more, but we both love good humor. We're big fans of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. We talk about it every week, just about. Uh, and while I hate the Trump bashing, conservative bashing, complete one-sided view he had, he is also freaking hilarious. He made a, 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 a pretty, episode, pretty yeah, big pretty episode hit job on uh, FCC chairman Ajit Pai, who you and I not only got to hear speak, but got to talk to a little bit, introduce our podcast to. There's a good chance. And, then, fact, he, and then he tweeted about the podcast. We are going to tag him in this so he knows we're talking about him. Uh, I think we. I, it's fair to say, one, I think while John Oliver uh, is a little bit uh, out there, funny yet unfair sometimes his overview was complete personal attacks on chairman pie and chairman pie while maybe some of his angles you might argue see your smart smirk already while you might argue you know and many might argue some of the things with net neutrality very complex issue are, are tough i think uh, we both walked away with like a, a new respect for the guy and a respect of damn he's young and and uh, and man, is he intelligent? Yeah, I I a think he's wrong on net neutrality, but but despite that, he is a likable guy. He's clearly a smart guy. He's pretty funny. John Oliver, if if anybody watches that show, they might most remember that episode from the fact that he makes fun of the giant Reese's cup peanut butter mug. I mean, brilliant! Something I would absolutely do <laughs> and, around. Here. And so John Oliver got like a ten times bigger giant <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cup <laughs> mug. Um, you had concerns about. The warmness of the coffee and the practicality of drinking out of such a big cup. Well, right, yeah. If you had a mug that big, by the time you get to the second half of your coffee cup, it's it's, it's not about that, coffee. man. Anyway, the point is, I was actually kind of frustrated. Um, I, I posted a, a picture. I, I think you might have taken it. Yeah, you a got picture, beat a up, picture man. of me and and the chairman, and I literally led my tweet with. Though I disagree with him on many issues, uh, I did find him to be a smart guy and and a likable guy, whatever. So, I mean, I even hedged in my tweet, and I still had a couple of folks, or one person that tweeted me and said, 
Um, you've now lost my support. I, I would contend that if if my taking a picture with someone now, let's also clarify. Uh, people IG are Pai, Pai was originally appointed by President Obama. I love him now, and 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 he <laughs> and now he's been appointed to a higher position by President Trump. But he was appointed by President Obama to his first role in that department, and but but beyond that, even if he hadn't been. Um, the idea that, that I lose someone's support because I, I post a picture with a Republican or that you'd lose someone's support because you posted a picture with a, a prominent Democrat is, is kind of the antithesis of this show. And that frustrated me. And it led me to think, you know what, if I lost your vote because I posted a picture with a guy who I started off my sentence saying I disagree with on a lot of his core principles, then I probably never had your support anyway. Yeah. And, and, and we'll get to Raleigh in a second. But we just spent a lot of time with both Democrats and Republicans, and it was good for the city. And the fact of the matter is, if we have leaders of this city, state, country that are in this town, and you and I aren't both at the table with them, and both trying to do what's best for Charlotte and get things for Charlotte, then we're not doing our jobs. And and if anybody wants me to apologize um, for going to something and, and being friendly to Ajit Pai, or someone wants you to apologize for sitting down in, in Senator State Senator Jeff Jackson's office, which people will hear when we, we do that, we play that interview a little later in the show. Uh, if people want apologies for that, yeah, I'm not offering one. Exactly. You saw what we did to Lime Bike. Don't make us come at you. <laughs> What's next? Um, I guess uh, Raleigh. Wait, hold on. Before that, one sentence each. Because we in the lightning round, there's no time to unpack your, your, your true view on net neutrality. But it is kind of like a hanging chad to leave out there of, what, like, is there some overriding reason why you are are uh, against the chairman's view on that versus kind of maybe where I'm trying to? And, and in fairness, our, our colleague Matthew Ridenour is very passionate about this, has a bit of a contrarian view. Maybe you'd be contrarian good to, to you. To, to me. <laughs> Not to uh, me. Yeah. To, um, to, this is maybe something he and be I good agree to, on. to bring on the, the pod to have him talk about this. I, th- I think he'd be good to have one for a multitude of reasons. Um, yeah. And we can talk more about it with him. And he. To be fair, probably knows more about it than you and I combined. But eh. Um, eh, I don't know. Maybe. I think, for one, uh, Chairman Pai used to work for Verizon. That's not an irrelevant fact. <laughs> so I, the fa- the idea that and, and and I'm look, I don't think Verizon's necessarily a bad actor, but I don't I don't have a lot of faith right now in just saying, yeah, these giant corporations, they you know they're not going to do that that bad stuff. They're not going to. They're not going to throttle down competitors' content just to just to try to get a competitive advantage. Of course they are. Like, why would they not if it's legal? And I, I just don't. I don't think that you can just give them the keys and say like, "Hey, man, you know, don't don't screw this up." I, I do think that there's regulation, and and we talked with um, we talked with in Raleigh, and again, I keep referencing Raleigh, which we'll talk about in a second. We talked with someone yesterday about how there's. There is some regulation on the books that is antiquated, that is unnecessary, that is silly um, at, at every level of government. But I think there's also regulation in place that protects consumers. I think this is this is that. And um, and again, it's it's not you, you can't penalize somebody for who they used to work for, but you can't you also can't ignore it. And if um, if we're giving them the keys to the kingdom, Verizon, and and it just so happens he's buddies with a lot of these guys. That to me is a relevant fact. Well, yeah, and that was a great one sentence description. Well, that was a Tarek sentence. <laughs> that was a Tarek Don't blame me sentence. when I start doing that all the time. Uh, here's my one sentence because I'm not going to go deep into that angle. And to be in fairness, I've only kind of tried to analyze this from a startup fintech perspective. But what I'd say is, I think a lot of the concern may be overblown. I, I, the way I see it is, I think there are some fintech companies. Um, in startup mode that are high bandwidth users that may ultimately not get as much benefit in the new world than the previous world in this. But I think there are a lot more lower bandwidth fintech companies that are going to see the, um, the, the, the kind of benefits and boons of the free market, and it's actually going to help them at, at a net level. So uh, I, we could talk about that for a long time. We'll, we'll talk about that in another episode. I couldn't. I couldn't Jay, talk about that for a Jay, long time. Jay, I right. talked about that as Jay, long as Jay, I could talk Chairman, about that. Chairman Pai, uh, we will uh, obviously welcome right. you on the podcast. And we assume anytime. you're listening. You are definitely listening. We know you're listening. The code word, Chairman, is... Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. <laughs> <laughs> That's too easy. That's also not one All word. All right, fine. Raleigh. Raleigh. 
Let's today continue is in this beautiful lightning today, round we're in the middle of. Today, today is Wednesday. I think it's still Wednesday. Wait, rezoning. Actually, in one minute. Rezonings was next. No, because we were in Raleigh yesterday. Okay, fine. Uh, it, actually, I was, I was saying it's Wednesday. Uh, we're one minute from it being Thursday. Dude, but, um, we've been in meetings for 12 hours now. Our wives hate us. Yeah. Um, yesterday was Tuesday, for, for now. And we left here at 8 a.m. Uh, you and I... Mayor Lyles and um, and Dana Fenton, who's our, our kind of our the one who interfaces between the city and Raleigh. Um, Dude's a terrible driver. I was petrified uh, yeah, I was, I was on scared. the way home, man. I think I he was really... falling asleep. I'm pretty sure he was falling asleep. I asked him a couple times. He was like, yeah, All right. I saw you doing that. I, um, that's when I started perking up. But anyway. We left at 8 a.m. We got back at 11 p.m. We are now co-chairmen, as everyone knows, of the new Intergovernmental Relations Committee. As part of our duties, what were we doing up there? So North Carolina League of Municipalities is an organization that represents um, municipalities of all sizes. So anything from um, our friends down in Pineville, which is about a 6,000-person town, to Charlotte which is an 850,000-person city, uh, and everything in between. And so the League of Municipalities historically has had a town hall day where all of elected officials from a local level, like us, would go down to Raleigh, meet with their respective legislative delegations, talk about the issues that are most important to their towns, their cities. And um, this year they decided they would actually do that in the form of a dinner. So last night, uh, you and I and the mayor, along with Councilmember Driggs, Harlow, Phipps, and Winston – all attended this dinner. The governor was there, the attorney general, the speaker of the house. They, it was a great dinner. But you and I and the mayor uh, and then Councilmember Driggs met us later, all went down earlier in the day and said, we're still going to have our town hall day, essentially. And we met with members of our delegation, um, a member from Lincoln County. Uh, we saw our friends, some of our friends from Gaston County. Uh, and so it was an opportunity for us to come down not necessarily asking for anything specific, but building those relationships, seeing if there's something they're doing that's, that could be to the benefit of Charlotte or that Charlotte could support. Um, and I think that's what it's all about. I mean, there is everyone, anyone listening to this show cares enough about politics to know that over the past handful of years, there's been some, some bad blood between Charlotte and Raleigh. And I think our number one objective for being co-chairs of this committee is to start to repair those um those fences and, and those bridges. And I, th- I think yesterday was a good step towards that. The only thing I'd add, and, and you, you covered the first part, is um, not only to mend those fences and build those bridges and kind of go forward in, in that relationship building mode, but also to um, to do so while also executing and maybe achieving measurable results. So uh, of, of the two things I think were on our mind going up there, I think we, we made a great start, which is one, spread the word amongst our delegation and, and others that we want to do something measurable, actionable, get some results, but we don't want to necessarily come with our laundry list of things we want you to do for us. So we started asking them, what can we help support that maybe we could get this council and city behind that you are trying to do? That enables us to get action-oriented without us having to jump jump the, the, the gun and, and, and ask for a laundry list of things for them to do to us. And two, and I think this is also as critically important, we made a, a, a real effort to identify and stop by the offices and visit some people not in our delegation, particularly some people in some rural areas where there might be a little bit of a you know, that rural urban divide, because we want them to know, we want to come to you. We want to hear what, what you think about us, what you think about what you're going through right now, and how can we partner? Because this is not the great state of Mecklenburg. This is not Charlotte, USA, right? This is Charlotte, North Carolina, and we are one part of a, of a, of a region and an ecosystem. So I, I, I feel very bullish that we are, we, you and I, while we are co-chairman of this initiative and serving in this capacity are not going to solve this problem. But I do feel if we keep on this path, we're going to be in, 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 on a track uh, of a longer journey that's going to repair a lot of the, ch- the challenges that exist and set an even greater foundation for achieving things for Charlotte and for the region. And, um, and, and right after this segment, I think, um, People will get to hear. We did a quick yeah. little uh, chat with Senator Jeff Jackson from Mecklenburg County. For anyone listening to the show knows who Senator Jackson is. Just a bit of background on that. In case you're wondering, man, that sounds weird or strange. 
while we were in the middle of uh, a three-person conversation in his little bunker of an office, uh, which, sorry, Jeff, that was, uh, that was that's, that's, it's just like mine, uh, just about the same. Um, uh, I just said, hey, uh, would you guys be all right with doing the podcast? And before everyone got their answers out, I whipped my phone out, hit record, and then we started the podcast. So there was no planning. Everyone was speaking from the heart, from the gut, and I thought we had a really great conversation. There's there's rarely any planning, but that was uh, that was even more spur of the moment than True. usual. Um, so you get to hear a little bit of that, but you know, I, I think the thing that made me feel good coming back from yesterday was I got a genuine sense from both Republicans and Democrats, both from the Mecklenburg delegation and beyond that they were encouraged by the bipartisan nature of us coming forward and saying, we want to engage, we want to build relationships. They could tell it was genuine what was coming from us. And I think genuinely in return, they said, we're really glad to hear that. We're glad you're here and and we need to be partners because what's good for Charlotte is good for the state. What's good for any part of this state is good for Charlotte. And, uh, and I think this council understands that. And I think that, that most of the folks in the legislature understand that. And I think, you know, we can do better by Charlotte by doing better by our neighbors. All right. Lightning round continues. I am not going to comment on this one. The last topic of lightning round, just in the hopes of of making it quicker. Uh, Zonings. You had several. I had none in the hearings tonight. Uh, Is there any quick lightning round comments you'd like to make, Mr. Eggleston? I'm ready to go home, so not many, but um, it's interesting. I've got... I think probably it's been six months and I've certainly had plenty of rezonings, but not many that have been controversial. I'll have They're in, fun. in two or three weeks, whenever our votes come up on this one, on these, um, I will have four kind of sticky rezonings all in the same month. And, and I haven't really had any that I, I thought were too sticky to date. Um, I hope that as is the case with one that you had last month and, um, and ones that, that, people have frequently i hope that there will be some resolution found between now and the time we have to vote and that's the whole point of this process we've talked about that before is some of these things can kind of rectify themselves as the negotiations continue but um yeah i mean i'm gonna have i'm gonna have some tough decisions to make um i'm gonna have to do deeper digging and and have deeper conversations with the folks proposing these plans and the the, po- the folks opposing these plans and um and one of them tonight in noda kind of pulls at me from both sides because there's elements of increasing density near transit that I really believe in. Um, but there's other elements of, of, you know, things like privacy for, for people, or there's some concerns with, um, with stormwater issues. And, you know, so I, none of these decisions are easy. This one's going to be particularly tough for me. And I've got several that are tough for me coming up next month. Um, but I mean, that's that's what we sign up for. Well, guess what? That's the life of a district rep. Good if, luck, yeah. my friend. If it were if it were easy, everybody'd be doing too it. Too bad, too sad. So listen, I gotta go uh, talk to some uh, step thirteen topped out officers at shift one South Division roll call tomorrow at o six fifteen. It is now what is what is o twelve o seven? That's not how that works. I don't no. know, man. I don't know how it works. How does it work? It's, 1207? It's, it's, I think it's 007. Zero. No way, dude. That's not right. Anyway. I've got to put, I've got to shovel some dirt in the morning for the new Grand Bohemian Hotel you're, 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 you, at you Church and me, Trade. You told me earlier you're breaking ground. I asked if, um, if, if I'd picked up a side yeah, gig at the construction site. Is it just like, site. we need you, uh, Mr. Eggleston, for the first four hours uh, of, of actually I plan to only shovel one shovel's ground. worth of dirt. Nah, I'd like to see you but, do it. Uh, like, yeah, the Grand Bohemian Hotel, Corner Trade and Church, looking forward to uh, to helping start the construction process mm. uh, in a very mm. insignificant way. Mm. All right, Hopefully well, there'll be coffee. That's, dude, I'm going to tell you, I'm done. Iced, preferably. It's so hot. Why don't people listen to you when no you make requests? No one listens to me. I've been asking for iced coffee for two weeks. I'm still getting hot coffee. Sweating my butt off. I mean, dude, I'm not going to lie. My office is hot right I'm now. Sweating I'm sweating right now. But you are sweating it profusely. Yes. You know, I'm reminded of a movie right now. Uh, yeah, where he plays basketball. I've shown you this clip already. That's the thing. It's the, it, everyone who knows, um, I think it's called Polly or something? Bedazzled. You're screaming. 
Sorry, I'm screaming again. Bedazzled, where it's uh, where he becomes the basketball star, and then he says, "Oh yeah, well, you know, just get out there, and give 110 percent." No one else is watching. You that only movie. know this because I've already shown you it. Yeah, this would no be a great example of your terrible pop culture. Since I'm usually the one that knows nothing about movies, everyone Zero. please tweet Tark and tell him no one else has watched this stupid movie he's talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Uh, everyone who's listened this far in, please support me. Everyone has seen Bedazzled, except for Larkin. All right. After the break, we're coming back with our interview from yesterday with Senator Jeff Jackson in Raleigh. And then after that, our interview first from ever, man. Hold this on. morning. We haven't talked about this. We just have one second for this. We had our first ever podcast in front segment. of an audience, a in studio front of audience. A live studio audience. How'd you feel like that went? You use the word live in a lot of different ways. I mean, it was talking. live when we did it. Um, <laughs> we had a studio audience. And we had our second congressperson uh, after we had Congresswoman Adams a few weeks ago. Had Congressman Henry, uh, a fellow Nick young elect. That's what I said. You were, yeah, I don't know. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought he was really funny. We had I, a good time. I like a sharp um, rebuttal. I'm sure I lost guy. someone else's support by uh, chumming it up with him this morning. Yes. But, um, but you no. gained my support, Larkin. Well, I already had it. It went well. <laughs> You get to hear that after Senator Jackson. We had some great special guests this week, and it is now time to go home. So uh, enjoy the rest of the show, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace! R&D and the QC on the road. Larkin, how you feeling today? Always catch me off guard with these, uh... I told you about three seconds ago we were going to do the podcast, but th- th- we're sitting here in the office of none other than uh, Mr. Snow Day himself, Senator Jeff Jackson. Hello, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I've been a big fan of your show. I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> oh, come on. You're a big fan of the big idea. Big fan of the idea. Yeah, I, the principle is admirable. So we're up here in Raleigh visiting everyone, uh, having a lot of good meetings. Anything uh, anything that you'd recommend to us as we work to continue to build? Uh, we told you about our, our new co-chairmanship of the Intergovernmental Relations Committee as we continue to try to build that bridge and really work together uh, between the city of Charlotte uh, and, and our state legislature. Well, look, y'all are up here to make friends, and I think that's great because you don't have any. Uh, <laughs> so you need to – I mean, Charlotte is not – Well, you've got one, Larkin. No. Um, but, no, really, it's great that you're here. It can be done. What the, the mission that you have been sent on, a lot of people are going to see as just a hopeless task. Hey, Charlotte, go make friends with folks in the General Assembly. That's, I mean, I'm sure evokes cringe, cringes from a lot of people back home, and they think that's hopeless. It's not. When you actually meet people behind closed doors, as I experienced when I first got here, I went around and I met with every single member of the majority party personally in their office. It's completely different when you get past the headlines, right? And I think that's part of the reason you do this podcast is to bring people past the headlines and actually engage in more of a conversation. There's an enormous amount of common ground that is hidden from public view. And I think you're going to find that. Larkin, any questions from you? No, I mean, I think we have seen that. We've, we've had several meetings today with different representatives and uh, senators, both from the Mecklenburg delegation and outside. And I think that I've been pleasantly surprised their willingness to say, hey, we, we're happy to see the things you guys are doing. They're uh, very receptive to Mayor Lyles. And I think that they're open-minded to working with us and realize that, that reg- not only a regional approach, but a statewide approach is not only beneficial to the urban areas, but also the rural areas. And um, so I, I've felt encouraged uh, about the potential of our success in this mission uh, just today. So final question for you, Senator. Uh, you, we told you a little bit about uh, our, our new approach and strategy of really coming and not just building relationships by being around, but also seeing in the short and midterm where we can help folks like you and others in our delegation and beyond achieve some things from our role that you guys are working on. Do you think that's a good approach? And is there any recommendations or tweaks you'd give us? Yeah, look, I think it's great. And what we're looking for are recommendations for partnerships. We want to be able to partner. Well, when I say we, lots of people here want to be able to partner with Charlotte and with our other urban areas. Give us some ideas for partnership. Are there things that we can do in the IT realm as far as expanding broadband capacity? Are there things that we can do with public education, with early childhood education? It's something that Charlotte and Mecklenburg is making a really high priority out of. Well, there are people here who believe really strongly in that. There's actually a bipartisan consensus here to elevate the priority for early childhood. That could be an area for partnership. The more you suggest partnerships, the more likely you are to actually find them. 
Senator Jeff Jackson, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to R&D in the QC. We are here with none other than Congressman Patrick McHenry. Larkin, what do you think? Well, as I was looking up your, uh, your bio to refresh my memory on all, of, all the things you've done and all the things you are doing, I realized how bad you're making Tarek and I and Braxton and our younger colleagues look because you started uh, in Congress at 29 years old. Is that right? 30? How old are you? 29. 29 years old. So our youngest city councilman, people think that, that what we did last year was somehow revolutionary, that you know, these young people coming on to city council, and our youngest colleague, Dr. Justin Harlow, is 29 years old, first term on city council in Charlotte. Punk. That's been doing this for ages, dude. Uh, so yeah, so you were in, you were in Congress by that time. Right. Um, still a punk, though. It doesn't matter. Because yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was a punk. That's fine. Um, well, we, we all are. Yeah, I still am. It's but cool. What, what was your experience? I mean, I know you were in the North Carolina House for two years before that. Uh, you had run for office while you were even still in college. But what was your experience? You were the youngest congressperson when you got to Washington. And, and for us coming in, it, it's helpful, I think, that we have a group of folks with that similar generational mindset. But what was your experience like going in and, and not only being a freshman, but being the youngest member of the entire Congress? Yeah, your margin for error is much more limited, right? Uh, you screw up, you're dead, right? Um, and I, and I, you know, and I could go through my broader story, but but basically, you have to have a no tolerance policy on yourself. Right uh, of of how you act, your behavior, and, and how you treat others, and and sort of uh, the ethical lines and everything else, and make sure you're tightly contained in that because you don't have the the long run of uh, established relationships that that could give you that that help if things go sideways, right? And forgiveness, right? Um, and so I, I think uh, you, you have to be much more focused, much more disciplined. Uh, in your early going than what you would have to do if you if you came in 20 or 30 years later. Did you find natural allies and other somewhat younger members, or, or were you so much younger than most of your colleagues that there really wasn't that opportunity? Like At 33, you were the youngest member of the 110th Congress, right? Right. So I, I served four years as the youngest member of Congress, and then uh, the, the guy before me was four years, the guy before me was four years. So um, th they were very helpful to me, the two previous youngest. Um, and and then uh, and then otherwise you have to find uh, really good mentors that are much more uh, experienced than you and seek them out to get that advice and counsel and and that that was what was most helpful to me. Who were those mentors for you? Well, we got a variety of them. Um, it, in my delegation, Howard Coble, who'd served for he retired after serving 30 years. He's now passed, um, uh, but Howard was very helpful. Uh, a friend of mine who was a long-term staffer is now a member of Congress, Richard Hudson, mm. um, who is a, a, a few years older than me, uh, been a, around as a congressional staffer for about 15 years. He helped me a lot. Um, and then uh, I had an uncle who's, uh, who's like a father to me that was very helpful. So it wasn't even necessarily being a member of Congress. It was just that experience of, of going through this process. So it's so refreshing and nice to be next to a Republican. I'll tell you, I, I don't get many opportunities like that. And, very, uh, very lonely these it's days. It's lonely in these days down here in Charlotte, but I got some good, some good colleagues you here. Felt at home in Raleigh yesterday. I did. That was great. For the, for, you know, but now you know we're back to Charlotte. My question to you uh, around this one is, you've been pretty active as a, as a champion for Republican principles, conservative principles, the party. Right now you're, you're uh, uh, vice chairman uh, of finance for the National Republican Congressional Committee. Uh, Twofold question, one more macro level, Wait, where, where's, where's partisanship these days? And are we on some disaster course of, uh, of political divide in the nation uh, that is, is going to result in something else? Or are things not as bad as maybe in the media and we see it? And question two, uh, will Charlotte get the uh, 2020 RNC? Uh, question two, no idea. Okay. Um, great, great chat. Uh, no, um, but uh, highly supportive and I'm actually making calls uh, uh, to support our effort. The, DN uh, the, the DNC, Char you know, Charlotte was a 
did a great job hosting. Uh, there was great feedback that it was a it was a welcoming place and a good place to actually have the convention. Um, and uh, and now there's even greater capacity with hotel rooms and logistics and everything else. Uh, light rails turned out in a dramatically different way than what people were talking about 25 years ago. There's great uptake on it, great usage of it, and there's a whole network that connected with it so I think there's a there's some enthusiasm around the bed um, and in that experience out of the, uh, the DNC is actually going to help uh, with RNC uh, more broadly so I tried not to answer the question but I ended up answering yes. so we got uh, the, it. the first part is that we, we've had far worse moments in American history than we're currently living through we're at a low ebb in our politics and that has been born out of economic dislocation I believe uh, and so uh, if you don't feel prosperous, if you don't feel well off, if you don't feel safe, your worldview is very different than if you feel prosperous, if you feel well off, if you feel safe, right? Just very practical, basic human <clears throat> principles. And so uh, I think we've been living through a very low ebb in our, in our politics, and it's been born out of that, that economic question, that safety question, if, if you want to root it in that. Um, and social media is at, at absolutely exacerbating this. Um, the innovation of the late 19th century was out of yellow journalism and, and the distribution of press. Um, the, the founding fathers era, you don't have to listen to Hamilton uh, too often to know uh, how nasty the first generation of, uh, of American uh, elected officials, uh, what that debate was like for them. Um, but we're living in this time where we have this new innovative form of communication, and yet we don't know how to throttle it. We don't know how to measure it. We don't know how to control ourselves. And you have very rational human, human beings in person uh, that, that would tweet nasty things to somebody across the room, but never in the world say a nasty word to somebody else. We've heard about them. Yes. Well, there's a couple in this room right now, not wanting any elbows. <laughs> but seriously, though, so so so... When you talk, I love. I, I kind of want to know the story, but anyway. No, no. Uh, we'll tell you that off. How do I say? I'll, let me just let me pull up my. Let me yeah, check it out. Tweet something. Yeah, tweet something yeah. controversial yeah. right now. Go ahead. Let's so we'll get us some good press. On but the it's amazing. Instagram is so nice, and Twitter is. So oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And Facebook's like right in the middle, where they're like, you have to acknowledge who the heck you are, and people still say the the most god awful meanest things. Yes. Right. Um, I'll tweet something out like, oh, I went to see you know, it's a happy Memorial Day. People are like, I hate you. you. Know, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, whoa! <laughs> yes. So, so you, you talked uh, just a second about, um, I, I like that kind of, that divide or that gap that you mentioned between the haves and the have-nots, which I think makes a, a lot of sense. It's not even book. that. It's not even that. No. It's not, it's not haves and have-nots. How do you feel? How do you feel? Oh, right? right. You're like, well, I'm straight. I'm... I, I own a home. I you know feel I feel okay, right? Um, no, we, we had people living through this an era economically where something goes wrong, man. You think things are going to go really bad, and then you have those that are trying to get their way up that were going into a bad economy, and what was really hard to break through was even harder. And so that's not born out of politics. This is not politics being to blame. Hmm. This is actually the economy uh, and this change in the economy that, that was to, to blame. And that exacerbated, I think, some societal ills that we have to wrestle with, that we always have to wrestle with. We have to be much more focused on and how we, how we uh, lift people up and bring them, in, uh, bring them up uh, in, through education, training, and inclusion, and those things you have to be, have a focused effort on, a real focused effort on. And we're at a time where we're so we're looking at something else. We're looking at our belly buttons rather than looking up, mm -hmm. right? And and I think that that really exacerbated things, uh, uh, not, and and that exacerbated things, uh, not economically but politically, and the political discourse was worsened by this. Before we started, you and Tark were having a conversation about technology, where you see it going, uh, and I think. To bridge that conversation with what you were just talking about, I'll use one of my colleague, Mr. Winston's buzzwords, equity. How do you make sure that you and Tark were talking about how you'll buy a car in the future? Um, Tark was talking about how bank branches might be obsolete. For everyone sitting in this room today, it, it's okay for bank branches to become obsolete because we have the technology, because we have the access. But how do we make sure that there's that equity for everybody? That they yes. have connectivity, that they yes. that they can buy a car the way you described to Tarek without having to interact with a human, or that they can bank without having to go into a, a brick and mortar place. How do we make sure that everybody has that access? Because otherwise, instead of closing the gap, we broaden it with technology. Sure, and and there's a, a there's a, a grave concern around that. Absolutely, uh, 
if you look at uh, third world rising into the second world, what is happening there? Um, the mobile phone is the powerful force for economic inclusion. Um, small dollar lending do, done through your phone. Uh, we're not the innovators of that, Kenya is. Um, and we've got Kenyan in, uh, innovators that are bringing technology globally uh, because they, they've created it in their market, nat native to Kenya, native innovators, and they, they had this, this fantastic market uh, that they, they were able to develop, born out of the, the phone. Um, we're seeing that uh, with the uh, consumer behavior is changing. It used to be that you'd make your car payment, and that would be the, the last thing you'd give up. Now it's this, it's your phone. It's the last, um, it's the last thing uh, you're willing to give up, is your phone. And so I, I think we have a, a better opportunity. There, there's, there's more upside than downside to the distribution of technology if we do it right. This is not simply about expensive products done through uh, an expensive uh, smartphone. It is about a, an essential transfer of money or saving of money done through a very basic instrument of a, of a cell phone. So here in local government, uh, at a municipal level, how can we partner but also work and execute on making small steps toward that future? Well, I mean, you, you, you've done it. I mean, to, to, to take, um, uh, instead of having to um, have cable in order to watch a city council meeting, you can do it on Facebook Live, yeah. right? Make things cheaper and better. Congratulations and thank you. Um, not because I actually want to sit through your city council meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does, um, right? uh, Especially but, now. <laughs> But, but but well, it's not always, you know. Um, but but to make th that you just took a expensive, a more expensive transaction, you made it f even uh, even cheaper. So, uh, how do you have that community access using technology? How do you keep people informed? Um, very basic things. Um, and, and and local government should be uh, the, where the rubber meets the road on this stuff. How do you actually have tech deployment done in a very practical way? Right, not to make things uh, more expensive, but to make in information uh, uh, cheaper and more accessible. So we'll end it with uh, on a high note and something fun. Your colleague, Congresswoman Adams, was on the podcast about three weeks ago uh, and told us a really funny anecdote that in 10 seconds, the gist of which was that the cloakrooms where you guys um, and gals can go in to grab a sandwich or, or you know, go to the restroom or whatever before you go into the chamber. Uh, she spent the first three weeks she was in Congress in the Republican cloakroom and no one told her. <laughs> uh, she didn't realize that there was one for each party and so she's just looking around and going, well, I don't know these people, but they seem friendly. And finally, someone told her uh, that, oh, you know, the person that's looking for you that can't find you is probably outside the Democratic cloakroom. And she goes, oh. So is there, do you have an anecdote from your time in Congress? You've been there now for six, how many terms? I should I should know that, but I yeah, forgot. It's a, Tighten no, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Seventh term. So, seventh term. Um, so yeah, you've been there for six. I was right. Oh yeah. So, um. so yeah, good job. That was good. Way to go. That's, Way to go. Uh, Gold star spin. coming to you. That's yep. spin. Um, so uh, when you're on Capitol Hill, you um, you have a, a pen you wear, right? Very common, just to seal the house. Um, and it, each member gets a pen with it, their own number struck on the back of it. Um, and so. Um, for, for my first three terms, I always wore this on Capitol Hill, always, uh, because uh, I, I, um, when I was in the State House, uh, the Sergeant of Arms actually tried to remove me from the House floor thinking that I was um, a mistaken intern or paid or something. <laughs> um, so that happened. Um, but most of my, my funnier stories now are, are more elaborate Donald Trump stories of, of visiting the White House. Um, I'll, I'll just tell this one from, from last week. Richard Hudson and I are there because they're, they're honoring the NASCAR champ, Martin Truex Jr., right? And North Carolina, center of NASCAR, Charlotte, in, in, uh, within 30 miles of here being the, the center of NASCAR. Well, our NASCAR champ is from New Jersey, Martin Truex Jr. Um, and his team is based in Colorado. So of course they have the North Carolina delegation <laughs> here for it, doesn't matter, right? We're going, right? Uh, and, and I did this uh, with President Obama and, and President George W. Bush, when, when, when they invite you, you go, right? It's the White House. Um, and so uh, we get done and, um, and we've got a whole variety of folks from North Carolina that are, that are there. We go up and we're taking pictures with the team and everything else. And I'm waiting to get my picture taken with Truex. And as I'm doing this, um, 
the president's body guy comes up. He says, excuse me, uh, Mr. Truex, uh, the president's waiting on you. So I'm about to have a picture with him. I think, okay, go ahead, go, right? And so I didn't get my picture. And uh, then the president stuck his head out. Uh, we're in the east front of the Capitol and he, uh, of, the, of the White House. Um, and he sticks his head out and he goes, hey, McHenry, come on, you want to see the Lincoln bedroom? <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, kind of like, where's this going? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole difference. That's a, a good setup for a different story. Um, you bring a change of clothes? Yeah. Um, so uh, he was taking trucks there, trucks and his, his girlfriend. And so I'm walking in, I'm like, uh, so you probably want to, you probably want to bring your crew chief. And he lo trucks looks around, he's like, I don't see him. Well, you probably want to bring your sponsor, right? who's a billionaire, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do that. I, gotta, I always gotta bring the sponsor. So he brings the sponsor with him, the sponsor brings his grandson, and we're walking in the White House, and all of a sudden I hear, McHenry! <laughs> and I turn around, and it's Richard Hudson. He's like, pretty far away, and he's getting a stiff arm, like a stiff arm in the chest from a Secret Service agent, right? And, 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 uh, and I, I look, I was like, okay, devil, Angel, right? Each shoulder. I'm like, leave him, get him. So, so I look at it. I look at the Secret Service agent. I'm like, the president asked for him. Yeah. He, he lets him go. He comes into the White House. So we walk in, and Richard and I are like walking in, sort of making eye contact, like, Did this just happened. Yeah. And uh, so go up to the family residence, top floor, and the president told a bunch of stories, um, telling some story about a Monet painting that the Jacqueline Kennedy gifted and how at the end of his, you know, his two terms in office, he's probably just going to pocket it, you know, take it. <laughs> he said, uh, it's, it's worth $100 million. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what kind of painting Most it is. Most expensive painting ever made. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, so anyway. Great, great painting. <laughs> Beautiful. Finally, that Never came in handy it. for you. Yes. So we can't thank you enough for being on the show. We're gonna we're gonna close this out and spend uh, the last ten minutes. We have you uh, running through some of our great fintech startups here in Charlotte in, in cohort eight of QC FinTech. They're gonna give you their one minute pitch they've been working on of what they do, and then uh, we'll send you on your way. But we'll hopefully keep in close contact because we really appreciate everything you're doing uh, from a politics perspective and from a fintech perspective. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be back. You're listening to R&D at the QC with Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston.